0: Jesus displays what perfect obedience to the Father looks like. Now, This doesn't mean that we're going to have perfect obedience in this life at all times, but we do have a model in Christ of what perfect obedience looks like. We do have a model that Jesus in his weakness, in his lowest point, in his hunger, what was stronger than his physical hunger, what was stronger than the temptation of comfort, was the truth of God's word. And he was able to call on that truth to keep himself away from that temptation. Hello, my friends. Welcome to How to Study the Bible. My name is Nicole Eunice, and I am so glad to be on this journey with you, particularly in this season as we lead up to our celebration of Easter, the celebration of Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, and all that that means to us as Christians. Now, I want to be honest with you because I've always promised to do so. I think that for many of us, and for me in many of my years of Christian life, understanding really what the resurrection means, understanding really why the most important day in the Christian calendar, the most important day of our collective lives is in Easter. has is There's just always been just a little bit of a disconnect. It's so easy to go through the motions and to, to say the words that we know um, are meant to be true, but not actually experience them as true to our life. And this is why I love God's Word and I love the way that we're studying it together because it gives us a chance to be on. About those things, and to open ourselves up to receive from God deeper spiritual knowledge, more insight, more discernment in a way that actually begins to transform the way we see the world, the way we see ourselves, and the way we love our neighbor. So, we are entering into a series called True Life. We're going to spend the next three weeks just in one passage of scripture that you can sort of um, take in over this Lent period of time as we lead up to each. Easter. We're going to talk about what the resurrection means for us um, as we go into and beyond Easter. But for these three weeks, we're going to slow down and we're going to focus on what the beginning of Jesus's ministry teaches us about the culmination of his mission and what that means for us today in the trials and temptations of this world. My friends, we are going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus, which is found in the Gospels. We're going to look at the the passage from Matthew chapter four. It's also found in Luke and Mark, but we're going to be in Matthew four verses one through 11, and we're actually going to look at this very passage over the next three weeks. So I'm going to give us um, a full read through as we begin today, and then I'll read the piece that we're going to look at in context using the ALIVE method today and then in the next couple of weeks. So if you would just take a deep breath and just take a moment to be grateful for this little sliver of your day, this 15 minutes that you get to spend uh, receiving God's Word. God's Word is alive. It is active. It works in our lives. Even when we can't quite perceive how it's working, it's working in our lives. When you are faithful to show up, to be obedient, you can actually pray for God to give you more insight and more discernment. So um, I'm going to invite you to that right now. I'm actually going to pray for us as we begin this series. Father God, you know we're each and every one of of us is this very moment. You know, the trials that are on our mind, you know, the losses and the grief that is in our heart, you know, the hopes that we carry for a better and brighter future. God, you are able to know and perceive all of these things and you give us your word relevant and timeless. And we pray God right now that you would open the eyes of our heart to truly receive what it is, the truth, um, the transformation that we get to find within the pages of your word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, everyone, if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, if you're joining me as you drive or walk or do chores, let me read it for you as well. And I encourage you, though, to be in this passage over the next couple of weeks, at least a few times a week, just to read it over until it's really deep within you. We're going to read Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then... Always pay attention to that word at the beginning of a passage, then we're going to hook into what happened right before this in just a moment, but let's look at what is going to happen next. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, you may wonder why this is the passage that we are exploring and and studying more deeply over these next few weeks as we lead up to Jesus's death and resurrection. Perhaps you're wondering why we're not looking at the last discourse of Jesus in John chapter 15, 16, 17, or why we're not looking at the way the disciples engaged with Jesus or a moment um, or several moments in Passion Week. And perhaps in coming years, we will do that. But uh, God has led me to this passage because I believe that the, beginning of Jesus's public ministry gives us a beautiful window into what he came to do. And that when we see how Jesus began, we understand how his ministry was fulfilled. And we also get an interesting um, angle in on the kind of trials and temptations we should expect to continue to face as believers when we are in a spiritual battle, when we live here in our earthly life. We we have access to abundant life through Jesus Christ, but we also still live in this world, which actually as we see in this passage, is actually under the dominion of Satan. He had the ability to give the world to Jesus. For a period of time, Satan has been given permission to have dominion in this world. So we live in that reality, and we're going to get into what that means for us as believers in just a moment. But I believe that we have such important things to unlock about the the essence of our humanity, about what we are tempted toward, and about how Jesus is our great high priest who has been able to withstand every temptation. That we get to follow a leader who has gone before us in humanity and reveals to us what we should expect as we live in this world. And we can look at that through this experience right here in his word. So before we go any further, we're going to use our standard four questions that we always ask called the Alive Method. You can read more about this in my book, Help My Bible is Alive, but um, I'm going to walk you through it this week and every week. And those four questions, if you are familiar with them now, are number one, what does it say? We want to make sure that we actually are reading and taking in what is being told to us. through a passage. What does it say? We're looking for observations that we would make, questions that we would have. We always ask those questions in step one. What does it say? The second question that we ask is what's the backstory? What's happening around this? What's the context? What do we need to know about the historical time period that we're in that will help us more fully understand what this meant in the time that Jesus said it to the audience that heard it? And then the third question is what does this mean? What are the principles contained within that we need to understand? And the fourth is this final place that we enter into devotion with God, believing in faith that God brings us to passages of scripture for a particular reason at a particular time, and we ask ourselves the question, what does this mean for me? What does this mean in the way that I can apply this to my life today and moving forward because God's word is alive and active and it's moving and breathing within us and it's teaching in instructing and correcting, encouraging us for the life that God has given us, for the good works that God has given us to do. So that's what we do in the Alive Method. So we're going to start there with what does it say? And I want to invite you to see this uh, playing out as best as you can in your mind. Now, this can be very difficult because you maybe have seen movies or TV shows or whatever where this is sort of played out and it can be easy to kind of fall into that. Um, But I just want you to imagine this dialogue and listen to the dialogue. So if we were going to start asking questions of this passage, and we're going to look at the first temptation today, if we're going to ask questions about this passage, the first thing that we need to pay attention to is the very first word that we find in Matthew 4, verse 1, then. We want to make sure we understand and connect what happened right before this in this passage. So we're going to make a note of that. What happened right before this? We're going to want to know. Um, And then we look and we see this passage play out. Verse two, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. So we know in the first verse that Jesus was actually led by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. He was being obedient to what God was calling him to do. We don't know how much Jesus knew about what would happen next, but he was obedient to the step that he had been given. And the Holy Spirit gave him that step to take. And we don't know. Do we know? We don't know for sure what Jesus knew about that time. But we do know that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, I mean, it says in scripture, he was hungry. I mean, it's hard to say hungry. I mean, it was like, he was hungry. 40 days and 40 nights without sustenance would mean that Jesus was at a physical low point. He was at an intellectual, emotional, mental low point. And it wasn't on day one or day two or day 28 or day 31 that the devil came to him. The enemy waited until Jesus was at his very lowest point before attempting to tempt Jesus into doubt, into uh, behaviors, into uh, different temptations that we'll see play out here. The first one being the one we're going to look at, the temptation of comfort. Verse three, the the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to stop there this week and just look at this first temptation. Question two, what's the backstory? This is when we, we begin to answer some of the questions that we've been asking. So if we go back to Matthew four, verse one, that first word then is so important. And the context, if we look back and flip back into Matthew, Matthew chapter three, we know this is very early, obviously, in the, in the, um, sort of, epistle of Jesus's life, the letter of Jesus's life, what's going to happen? Because we're right here at the beginning of the gospels. And right before this in Matthew three, we see that Jesus actually received his baptism, that he came to John the Baptist and said, I need you to baptize me. This is proper for us to do. And so John baptized him and Jesus heard these words. It began with a baptism and confirmation of his identity. Jesus heard the words from God who said to him, you You are my son, who I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now, that would be a whole nother series to break down that thought. But what you hear here is this beautiful declaration of identity, of affection, and of approval. God gives his threefold blessing to Jesus. I I identify you as family. I identify you as someone who is loved. I identify you as someone who is approved of. And what we see the tempter do right away in Jesus's lowest point is actually try to dismantle those identities, dismantle these truths about who Jesus actually is. And he does it when he's at a low point. Take a note. We're not yet in what does this mean for me, but you should be wanting to write down like be careful in low points. Be careful in low points because it can be a time where the enemy can come to us to tempt us to believe something different than what we have been told from our Father God. The context is this baptism and confirmation of his identity. That's how we enter in. And I call this first temptation the temptation of comfort because the formula of the enemy is to try to attack um, this identity of Jesus and to make him take a step that proves who he is, but also like meets an immediate need. So he's going to dangle a carrot out there. And and probably as we see these, these temptations escalate, This temptation doesn't seem that, you know, bad, right? I mean, why wouldn't you provide for your needs? Why wouldn't you do something independent that's going to meet the need that you have right now? Is that really such a big deal? You see, there's a reason that the enemy, his actual definition of Satan's name means the slanderer or the accuser because all Satan does is slander. So he's going to slander the character of you. He's going to slander the character of God. And we see him do this with Jesus because he uses this formula, if, then. If you truly are the son of God. So now this isn't about just being hungry, right? This is about proving your identity. And one of the things that can happen, especially in those low points, is that we can doubt that God is loving and is providing for us. And the enemy knows that. And so the enemy says, if that's true, don't you think that you should make these stones into bread? If you are the son of God, don't you want to show that you are? And Jesus has to answer to that sort of temptation to that proposal, to that invitation. And what do we see Jesus do? We're going to see him do it three times over, is that he always quotes scripture. So, we're going to see that Jesus, the perfect Son of God, fully divine and fully man, is going to need the ability to quote Scripture in order to maintain his positioning in life, in order to hang on to the security of his identity. He needs to know God's Word. If the perfect Son of God, fully divine, fully man, needs the Word of God, don't you think that you and I, fragile, limited, sinful, don't you think we need it? (laughs) I mean, if there's not a better passage to look at that encourages us to be in God's word daily, this is it. So Jesus is quoting and he quotes um, and we can look at the backstory on that quote. So I want to take you to where Jesus is actually quoting. And so Jesus is actually quoting in Deuteronomy 8. And so the first thing we're going to want to do when we're getting the backstory is let's make sure we know the whole context of what Jesus was quoting, because he would know the whole context of what he was quoting. And I would be curious, and I wonder if we might get some context clues for why Jesus quoted that other than the actual literal reason, um, because of the passage he chose. But what is it that, that God was actually teaching in the passage that Jesus quoted? So let me read to you a few pieces of it. It says, remember... Verse two, remember how the Lord your God led you into the wilderness these 40 years. You should probably notice that. You might want to underline and be like, okay, wait, 40 years. Where did I just hear 40? He is in, Jesus is also in the wilderness for 40 days. Nothing is an accident in scripture everything's intentional. So I might be like, hmm, 40 days, 40 years. Remember how the Lord your God led you into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, it goes on and says, which neither you're, to, to feed you manna, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It says in verse five, know then in your heart as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. It goes on in verse 16. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well for you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember your Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so it confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Now, I know that is an earful as you listen to that, but as you, and I would encourage you to go and read that passage, go to Deuteronomy 8 and read through that chapter as you do your own personal study, because when we think about Jesus quoting this passage, we want to receive it in the context of the whole thing. And kind of the whole thing in this chapter is that God is going to test and discipline to bring your heart to a place of dependence on him that God wants us to know a dependence on him so that we do not become independent believing that the provision and the blessing the intelligence our life is something that we ourselves have done for ourselves now here is why this matters as we get to what does this mean what the enemy was trying to tempt Jesus to do was make a decision for himself hey don't you think it would be a good idea to go ahead and turn the, turn these stones to bread because Because shouldn't you prove that you can do that? That is the exact opposite of what Deuteronomy chapter 8 is saying. So even though Jesus only quotes one line from Deuteronomy 8, he's actually pressing into this whole concept. That, hey, enemy, you're tempting me to do something out of comfort that actually leads me into disobedience. That is the very thing that God told his chosen people would be their downfall, would be their destruction. So, when Jesus does this work and he quotes this passage, he's calling into this whole principle. He's not just, he's not just literally answering, like, oh no, God said you don't live on bread alone, because that's not, that's not what the context of the passage means. Yes, it did mean that, but it meant so much more than that. And what we see here, very simply on a principle, is this Jesus displays what perfect obedience to the Father looks like. And this doesn't mean that we're going to have perfect obedience in this life at all times, but we do have a model in Christ of what perfect obedience looks like. We do have a model that Jesus in his weakness, in his lowest point, in his hunger, what was stronger than his physical hunger, what was stronger than the temptation of comfort was the truth of God's word. And he was able to call on that truth to keep himself away from that temptation. So what does this mean for us? What does that mean for us today? And we're going to continue to explore this in the next two weeks, but I'm going to give you uh, a principle for today that I believe can be very helpful for you in your own thought life as you journey through this life, as you experience your own temptations and trials. So what does this mean for me? This is what I wrote down. The enemy's methods are not that creative, but are often effective. Like, what we see the enemy do in Scripture, what we see him do in this world, is not really that creative. He calls into doubt your identity. He calls into temptation making you want to prove yourself. He looks for moments when your resistance is lowest. That's what we see him do in this passage. And if Jesus needed Scripture to make it through these moments, we will too. So there's a couple of things to apply. And you might think, oh my gosh, Nicole, I need to know so much more about like, wait, is Satan in me? No, Satan's not in you. If you're sealed in Christ, Satan is not in you. Can Satan beat me? No, Satan cannot win. Satan has been, we already have victory over Satan. Can he tempt you? Yes. Can he bog you down? Absolutely. Does he look for opportunities? Does he stalk around looking for opportunities to make life difficult? Absolutely. So we don't need to be fearful, but we do need to be wary. We do need to be shrewd. We do need to be wise and discerning. And we're going to do that in the next couple of weeks. So what does this look like for you? I want you to remember that if Jesus needed scripture, you will too. Talk with you guys next week. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and our executive producer Stephen McGarvey and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleYunus.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that, plus a link to Nicole's site, in today's show notes. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus.